Hi, everyone. Pastor Matthew here, welcoming you to another episode of Everyday Disciples. Thanks for listening today. All of us here are so grateful for you, our listeners, and we hope that you've been able to grow in your walk with Jesus as you listen along with us. On today's episode, we sit down with Pastor Rob and Adam for another installment of Bibles Only Bible Study, where we leave all the tools and resources behind and just study God's Word together, reading through the Sermon on the Mount. And then I sit down with Aiden Hunt and C.J. Jaluso to talk about forgiveness. If you've ever been in a situation where you've been really wronged by someone, you know that's a tough topic to work through. And finally, Aiden and I take a quick look at another strange Bible story, this time from the Gospel of Matthew when a fish shows up with a coin for Peter. So lots of great stuff ahead. Let's go. Well, welcome once again to another segment of Bibles Only Bible Study, sitting here with Adam Vanderstelt and Pastor Rob Appold. And uh, we've been looking through the Sermon on the Mount. So just, you know, the, the, the thought behind this one is we're just, just using our Bibles. So, you know, no commentaries or other things like that, that we sometimes bring to these just to kind of do a Bible study the way that you might do a Bible study. And so we're picking up, if you're following along today, able to crack open your Bible with us in Matthew 5, starting at verse 13. Um, the Sermon on the Mount, full of lots of memorable teachings of Jesus, and this is maybe one of the, one of the more memorable ones here. So, uh, Adam, you want to read um, verse 13 through 16 for us so that people can get that in their, in their minds? I sure can. I'm reading from the ESV version of the Bible. And it goes like this, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. All right. Thanks, Adam. Yep. So, like we said, these are kind of familiar words, right? Be, be salty. Um, be salt, not salty. I guess uh, salty has taken on a different, <laughs> different connotation in our culture today. Um, but uh, be salt, be light. Yeah, city so, on a hill. That mm-hmm. has American roots in it, I think, as well. What do you mean by that? I think that was, uh, wasn't that the Puritans' view of what they were doing? They were going to mm-hmm. be the city on the hill for the world, for the nations. Their motivation for coming to the new yeah. world. And I think that that prevails even a bit today still. Like people sort of think of America as that city on a hill. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be a little bit of, of reading ourselves into the the Old Testament text in a few places, and that, that might not exactly be what God intended there with his word, but um, certainly, yeah, certainly a, a picture that we hear in the Old Testament, right? The city on a hill, that's, is that Isaiah that he's quoting? I can only bring my Bible, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I, know that. I feel, I feel like that's from Isaiah, but maybe I might be mistaken on that. Certainly in the Old Testament, you have the, that picture of like uh, Zion up on the hill, and the, oh, the nations okay. streaming to Zion, mm-hmm. that sort of image that, that comes there, that maybe that's not Isaiah. Um, I know the, the prophets in general tend to speak about that. Sure. Um, yes, a very centripetal kind of attraction. Mm-hmm. But I think this is just the opposite. Yeah. I think Jesus is saying, well, the concluding, let your light so shine that others may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So it's it's 
designed, I believe, to encourage us to be conscious without being, you know, legalistic or anything like that. But our demeanor, our actions have a witnessing effect. Sure. Yeah, I think both the the salt and the light have a have an aspect of going right. You know, the the light um, when you turn on a light bulb, those light rays move from the bulb out into the darkness and penetrate it. Um, when you're cooking, you don't usually bring the food to the salt. You bring the salt to the food yeah. to, to season it. Um, so there's that aspect of, of going in, in those ways. Again, just uh, probing the salt metaphor here, um, what exactly is the you know, saltiness losing its salt and... I mean, you know, we've heard what salt does. It purifies something. It, it's a preservative. It's a seasoning. It's a ice melter <laughs> for us. But I, I mean, when salt loses its saltiness, that I guess threw me until the only explanation I heard is that they didn't have pure salt in that day, so there would always be impurities in the salt. So the whatever... Other minerals yeah. and stuff in it. And, yeah. Yeah. and so salt could leach out, and you would just be left with the impurities. Sure. Because Jesus uses that quite often. There are other places where salt loses its saltiness. I think what sticks out to me in that verse, at least from what I know about cooking, is that salt is always used um, as a means to draw out the good flavor in a, in a food. And I think in the same way, and maybe what Jesus is pointing at here is saying, there are a bunch of good things that I have made in the world. Now, as Christians, you point to those good things and you uh, show that I am in those things. In a sense, you're the, you're the seasoning of that. Yeah, the way that I heard it put, um, I don't remember what, what cooking show that I was watching, but that salt makes food taste more like itself. Right. Rather than more like salt. Now you can, if you add too much salt, right. then all you taste it. is the salt. But it, like, it unlocks sort of like the receptors on our tongue really? to to enhance <clears throat> the flavor a little bit stronger. And so I think that is a good metaphor for Christians. Like we we want to enhance the world around us and make the world what God intended it to be. Um, you know, not necessarily to point to us to right. the salt, but but to the the good flavors that God put out there in the world. Yeah, I mean, like to the scientific mind, you look at how uh, all of these different um, plants and animals are, are connected in a, in a unique and really beautiful way. And, and we as Christians can point to that and say, like, God made that. Okay. And that's mm-hmm. our salty testimony, I think. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of your, your licorice yesterday. Oh, mercy. My Dutch, my Dutch hard, <laughs> double, yeah. double salty. For, for those licorice. who listened to the, the Halloween episode where Adam talked about his, his favorite uh, candy, he, he brought in some, what was, what was, how was it described? It's called uh, double salt hard licorice. Yeah. Dutch licorice, yes. And black licorice, too. Yes. And he, he offered it to all of us at our staff meeting that we had yesterday, and you, you went back with an awful lot of it, I think. I, yes, I think only one person uh, took it and made a sour face for about 20 minutes. <laughs> no, I was just trying to uh, pry oh, that licorice candy. off my teeth. Yeah, it uses the term candy very loosely. <laughs> Actually, I kind of didn't enjoy it, but not that I'm oh. coming back for more. But yeah, <laughs> salt, uh, it, it, yeah, that salt would actually free the 
the natural things or the natural flavors out. Yeah, that obviously the point is Jesus is saying you're an, an agent in this world, mm-hmm. and that through faith in Him we are we're doing something. We're not we certainly passively receive His grace, but the result is a faith that is alive and uh, you know active, right? Which is the exact same picture that he paints there with the light. You know, people don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. They set it up on a stand. Like, that light has a purpose. It has a function mm-hmm. um, to, to give light to the whole house. And so we are to, to give light to the world around us. And I like that with light, that light, you know, like it pierces the darkness. It penetrates the darkness and pushes it back. Um, and that's what we get to do with the light inside of us, the light of Christ. And I, I would hope that a, a verse like this can um, probe that, I don't know, fall modesty of people that, oh, don't, you know, I'm, I'm nothing in doing something, you know, in, in serving in, the, in this world. But let your light shine mm-hmm. um, without being prideful. I certainly don't want to go point people in that direction, but where you have been gifted and, and you you're being used by God. Let that be known. Mm-hmm. When I went to film school, um, there was, there's this big kind of light. It's a, it's a huge light, and it's about the size of, oh, this table, which is about uh, three feet uh, across. Uh, and that light is used to imitate the sun. So people often on set call it the God light. Um, because it's this huge light that pours out and is meant to imitate the sun on like a cloudy day. I think of that in the same, that, that might be like what we're our, we're meant to imitate um, the sun, uh, S-O-N, <laughs> with our light uh, and be imitators, almost um, little God lights all around. Absolutely. And, and you know, re- reflecting that light of Christ out into the world around us. I think that's, yeah, that's what we're called to do. Should we continue on here? Uh, let's read through. We're just going to go up through verse 20 today. So, uh, Pastor Rob, you want to read 17 sure. through 20? 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything in it, until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This no is pressure. The, this is the word of Christ. <laughs> Praise be to God. You know, it's every, every time we have one of those sorts of readings, you know, in, in the service, it always feels funny when we're, oh, thank you. Thank you, God, for, for that hard word that we just got. Exactly. So part of it, I think Jesus is setting up what's, what's about to come after this that we'll get into in, in subsequent episodes here where he, he, he starts doing the familiar, you've heard it said, and he quotes the Old Testament law. I tell you, and he kind of ratchets, ratchets it up a little bit more, uh, strengthens it a bit. So he's, he's kind of laying the groundwork. I, I didn't come to wipe that away. Um, in fact, you, you got to be even more righteous. Mm-hmm. Um, 
this is maybe one of those hard passages for folks, like you get to the end there, you know, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Ouch. Yeah, I think outside of understanding a righteousness outside of ourselves that comes through Christ, there's no way to understand that. I think, yeah, for a lot of people who who simply maybe hear those words, and maybe they hear those words from other Christians, mm-hmm. um, kind of shouted at them, um, it's certainly, if, if, if all of my righteousness has to come from what I'm doing, then, man, I got to be really, really good. And I don't know that I can be that good. In fact, I, I'm pretty sure I can't be that good. And as you were saying, Pastor Rob, I, which is really important to remember, that whole righteousness outside of us. Yeah, it's not our righteousness, but Christ's the righteousness Christ, for us. Righteousness of Christ. It's clear in Paul's letters, and I think in the totality of Jesus' teaching. But here, that would have been, this would have been a mind-blowing statement yeah. to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. They were, they were the good people, mm-hmm. and the teachers of the law. That would be the scribes. I would take it. I would assume so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these are the guys who already are seen as being basically perfect, right? Right. They're keeping the law, every every aspect of the law, at least in their eyes they are, and in the eyes of the people around them. And that's what I think is so huge about the, the next sections that we're going to get into next time, um, you know, with anger and lust and things like that, where from the outside— Right. It looks like you're righteous, but Jesus is getting at the heart. Exactly. And, uh, he always has that annoying <laughs> Right. Being able to, to get right to the heart, the literal heart of the person. And, uh, you know, so for the the community around the scribes and the Pharisees, these guys look righteous from the outside. And Jesus is going to pull back the veil a little bit and say, yeah, but you got, you got ugliness inside your heart, too. We all do. I think this would have been an... Um doubly confounding to the Pharisees. For the first part of this, they would have said, yay, thank you, Jesus, for saying... That, that he didn't come to get rid of the law? Yeah, because they loved the law. Mm-hmm. And then to say you got to exceed that of the of the Pharisees, they, they would have said, well, who succeeds? Who, who can be better than us? But isn't that kind of the message here and then and moving on through, um, you know, chapter 5? It's like um, Jesus says... The bar's really high. In fact, it's so high that you can jump it. Yeah. Right. And that's the whole idea is, and I'm the only one that can jump the bar. Exactly. And yeah, you can't, there's no way you can do it. Mm -hmm. Right. So get out of that mindset. And thank God, right, that there's no way that I can do it. Because if there was a chance that I could, then I'm going to try. And and I'm going to wear myself out trying to be that you know, completely, perfectly righteous, all the while wondering... Or pretend to be. Well, sure, pre- either pretend to be, or all the while wondering, was I really good enough? Did, did I really mean it when mm-hmm. I did that? Did I forget about somewhere where I messed it up? And like you got that constant guilt and worry on your heart the whole time when I know when I think it's on me, where, mm-hmm. man, it's so great to have that that righteousness from Christ applied to me in spite of the fact that I'm broken and messed up and going to strive to do well, but going to fail too. Mm -hmm. One thing that helped me on this whole thing, a little saying that a self-righteousness that you do yourself gives you a PhD. It makes you proud because you think, well, I'm better than the next guy. Mm -hmm. 
or it makes you a hypocrite mm-hmm. knowing, yeah, I'm pretending I'm doing this, but I know I'm not. Right. Or it leads you to despair. Oh, to sure. To say, uh, I'm, I'm hopeless. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be able to do this, and I can't. What's the matter with me? Mm-hmm. Well, you're a sinner, but you're a loved and redeemed sinner. Right. Mm. Praise Jesus for that. I think that's a good spot for us to wrap up here. We're going to pick up uh, right where we left off in our next time. So thanks for tuning into this part and uh, be glad to talk with you guys again to continue through the, the Sermon on the Mount. Welcome back. Once again, I'm sitting here with Aiden and CJ again uh, for another one of our how-to segments. And this one comes kind of from uh, pastoral ministry to folks on the topic of how to forgive. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I've had conversations with people, uh, sort of those pastoral or discipleship type conversations with people who are struggling with forgiving someone in their life for something that's happened, you know, whatever it is. And I think people maybe have a variety of opinions on what even does it mean to forgive. Have you guys encountered that before with, you know, talks with, with other, other Christians and, you know, youth that you guys work with or other people? Yeah, I have. Um, and forgiveness is a very difficult topic because uh, f- by forgiving somebody, it doesn't mean your emotions towards that situation go away. It doesn't mean that gets rid of the hurt that you feel towards that situation. Um, it Forgiveness to me seems more like a process, if that makes sense. Um, now, you forgive somebody in the actual moment, but you have to almost work towards forgiving them or work towards that process. Yeah, I think CJ put it very well just now. I think um, we're really good at saying sorry, but we're not very good at apologizing. Mm. Um, so what's the difference between saying sorry and apologizing? Well, I think a lot of the time we say sorry for for things that just happen on a, on a day. Like a perfect example um, – I was at the grocery store last week and this woman and her uh, child were like kind of like blocking the aisle with their cart. And so I was like squeezing around them and I was like, oh, sorry, just trying to, you know, how, you know, Michiganders and Midwest people mm-hmm. just like, oh, sorry. But I said, sorry. And I'm like, I apologized for doing my groceries and like trying to get around somebody. Like I'm not asking this woman for her forgiveness. Like she was occupying space and I just needed to get past her. Like she wasn't doing anything wrong and neither was I. It was more of a, a polite formality yes. sort of. And I, yeah. and I think we almost treat the the first part of forgiveness, which is like the need for an apology or for say, sorry, we treat it to, um, I think not casually, but it doesn't hold the same weight. So now like when, when you say sorry to someone and then in order to forgive them, you say it's okay, but it's not necessarily okay. Like CJ right. was saying, like right. it, it it's, the reason they have to say sorry is because your feelings were hurt or they did something that wronged you or something happened that they're in need of apologizing for. You don't have to say it's okay because it clearly is not. But right. it's okay to say, you know, thank you or like I accept your apology. There's a lot more, I think, weight and meaning in that. And I think there's more room to forgive when you actually acknowledge, yes, I need to forgive this person or they need to forgive me. Um, so so maybe let's let's start first by kind of identifying some of the ways that we get forgiveness wrong. So, so like you just kind of said that we get forgiveness wrong when we, when we think of it in, in maybe that like uh, transactional kind of 
thing where like, like I need to just get around you. So I'm just going to say, I'm sorry. You're going to say it's okay. And we're all going to go on with, with life as if nothing happened kind of thing. Um, when we think about it, maybe in those terms, or when we think about it, kind of like I said, right there at the end, that it, when, when you say you're sorry and I say, I forgive you, that it's like it never happened. Mm. And that's not what forgiveness is, is either. Yeah. Um, it doesn't make whatever, whatever the, the problem was just disappear. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make it meaningless. What are some other ways that you guys know of that we can get forgiveness wrong? Well, I know I've done it before and that is like, um, apologizing or saying sorry in a way that doesn't make it seem like it's my fault. I know that I feel, mm. So not does that make it. sense? Yeah. I, I'm sorry you feel that way. Yeah. Like, or, like that. Sure. Yeah, I'm sorry this happened. It's because this happened and it wasn't me. Trying to explain it away mm-hmm. yeah, without owning it. And that can be hard, right? Because sometimes if we're on the, if we're on the like erring side, we've wronged somebody. And, um, you know, sometimes maybe it's not fully our fault. That's something, you know, I, I know that like from just from leadership in church, right? Sometimes something goes wrong and somebody gets upset and you just need to apologize to them, even though it wasn't, you know, I had nothing to do with it that made it, you know, whatever it was happen. Yeah. I think of, I mean, the mantra, forgive and forget. And people say, hey, it's important to forgive and forget. And I'm like, where do you get that from? Right. Um, yes, forgiveness is important, but you don't just forget and act like it never happened. Right. Um, there is a level of trust that needs to be rebuilt via forgiveness. So you're not necessarily forgetting immediately what was ha- what happened to you or what you did to somebody else. Um, and I think if if you're in need of forgiveness, like if some if you need someone to forgive you, you shouldn't forget what you did either. And remember, like yeah, what you did was not the best thing. Um, and now you shouldn't wallow in your sin or in your indiscretion. You shouldn't you know beat yourself up and just sit in that. But there is a process of forgiveness, both for the person who is forgiving and being forgiven. Um, and it, it, and it's, it's necessary to understand the, the need for change and transformation on both sides. Right. I think maybe that whole forgive and forget thing comes from what we know about how God forgives, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, God, like scripture says, he remembers your sins no more. Mm-hmm. So like God forgives and forgets. And we're not capable of that. Yeah. You know, we, human uh, relationships and stuff are such that we've got sin all around us. And so things go wrong, things go bad. Um, Like you just said, trust is broken and trust needs to be built back. It's a process. And I think forgiveness is part of that process. But forgiveness isn't the whole thing. And yes, like God forgives and God does not hold us to our sins. But also, I don't think there's a total like forgetfulness with God because he is constantly working on us and in our hearts. Like God knows the things that we struggle with and have for a long time. Um, even in Exodus 34, where God says to, to Moses, you know, he, he keeps reminding Moses what his name is. And God says, you know, I am the Lord keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Like God understands the things that we struggle with and our need for forgiveness. Um, and honestly, it's it's so much better that way. Like thank God for that, that he knows us so intimately, that he knows the things we struggle with and the areas of our life we need his forgiveness in. Um, and so I think it's important to to distinguish, you know, it's important to forgive um, 
others, but I think one of the things I struggle with most, especially when it comes to, to this is forgiving myself. Mm. Um, and I think self forgiveness, um, is something we can look at as not very, uh, Christian because we are just constantly reminding ourselves of how wicked and terrible we are. And there is always space for that and room and room for that. But, um, I think a failure to, to forgive yourself is one you're setting yourself up for deeper hurt and deeper failure mm-hmm. um, because you're not able to get past the things that you need forgiveness for. Um, and God's willing to forgive us and, you know, God willing, the people in our lives are willing to forgive us as well. So I think learning how to forgive yourself is another important, uh, important part of that. Right. So maybe let's, let's maybe move into the, so how, how do we really forgive when, when it comes to, uh, if, if we're, let's just put ourselves on the side of we have a wrong has been done against us to whatever degree that is, hmm. what, what like mental process, spiritual process do we go to, uh, go through when it comes to forgiving the person who has wronged us? And maybe we'll even start by saying whether they apologize or not. Mm. Yeah. I feel like the process of forgiveness starts with yourself. It starts with with accepting that we're all sinful, that that person is no better than your own self. Um, and and I know that in some cases um, in my life, I've had to take breaks from people, if that makes sense, mm. or create a little bit of space. Well, I actually took the time and let that wound heal, and I, I needed to actually accept that I was giving them forgiveness before I continued my relationship with them. And I felt like that was good only for, for the fact that if, if I continued to just interact with them on a daily basis, like nothing happened, I feel like some passive aggressivity would have come up and I would have just kind of acted a little crappy towards them, if that makes sense. And, um, so yeah, I feel, I feel like in my life, I don't necessarily look for space, but if I need it, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important to remember, like like you said, we're not called to be a doormat. You know, we're mm-hmm. not called to put ourselves in a position where like a toxic person is going to just suck the life out of us. Um, we are called to put up healthy boundaries, and 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 sometimes we just have to do that. And forgiveness is a part of it. And sometimes I, I think we can forgive even in spite of the boundaries around us. Uh, I think for me, part of part of forgiveness, what goes through my mind at least, is recognizing the importance of the relationship. That forgive forgiveness is a step toward restoring this relationship that has somehow been bruised or damaged, um, and saying like, I, I need to, I need to let go of this. You know, I need to hand this this over to God. Let let Him worry about retribution or whatever. Um, and just let go of it because if I hold on to this, it's going to continue to just poison that relationship. Mm-hmm. It's going to eventually like poison my heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll infect you and just fester, and mm-hmm. that's not good for anybody. Um, I think understanding mercy and grace is really important in forgiveness. Mercy being um, something that you do deserve is withheld from you um, for your sake, and then grace being something that you do not deserve is given to you for your benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, and we say all the time we we are saved by faith, you know, or or by grace through faith in Jesus. And I think using that model where we we understand the grace that Jesus has given us um, on the cross and in His life, 
I think we we can use that to give grace to others when they don't deserve because we have been given that grace that we don't deserve. Um, it's just it's our template to look at Jesus and say there needs to be grace given here. Maybe I don't want to give it, but it's my obligation or my duty. Or maybe I don't deserve the grace, but it's being given to me because this person is acting in a Christ-like way. Um, so yeah, I think grace is just the the foundation for how we, we can learn how to forgive and be forgiven. I also see forgiveness as like a type of freedom. Um, mm. When you forgive that person, it's almost like letting go of a huge burden that's mustering up inside mm-hmm. you and building and growing. And, and I feel like letting that forgiveness out is almost a way of freedom. Now, I know that yeah. Jesus says in Matthew 6, for if we forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And that is just a very humbling verse, I feel mm. like. Mm, so good. Yeah, that reminds me of Hebrews twelve fifteen, where uh, the author there says, See to it that no one's deprived of the grace of God, mm-hmm. and that no root of bitterness may string, spring up and cause trouble. Uh, that's, that just grows inside of us when, when we don't forgive and we just let it fester. Well, this has been good, folks. Um, I hope this has been helpful for for those listening in here as it has been for me here talking about forgiveness and just reminding ourselves what's all involved when it comes to forgiving someone else. So thanks, guys. All right, well, I'm joined once again with uh, Aiden Hunt as we're looking at one of those weird stories from the Bible. And last time, if you were listening here, we talked about Elisha and the the kids, teens, whatever, who were taunting him about being bald and, and him sending the bears to take him down. And this time we're looking at a story from the New Testament, one that's probably not familiar to many folks. It's just a little short story in Matthew uh, chapter 17, verses 24 to 27, where a fish shows up with some money in its mouth. And it's it's just kind of a strange little story here. And so Aiden, why don't you read this and then we'll uh, kick it around a little bit and see what this means. When they came to Capernaum, those who collected the temple tax approached Peter and said, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he said. When he went into the house, Jesus spoke to him first. What do you think, Simon? From whom do earthly kings collect tariffs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? From strangers, he said. Then the sons are free, Jesus told him. But so we won't offend them, go to the sea, cast in a fish hook, and take the first fish that you catch. When you open its mouth, you'll find a coin. Take it and give it to them for me and you. All right, so uh, we're fishing for money here or yeah. something. Then you is, wish it was this easy. This is like the ultimate. I'd go fishing a lot more often. Is this like the ultimate goldfish? Is this <laughs> the literal fish? <laughs> this is one of those strange little little episodes uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. I, I'm betting you've probably never heard a sermon on this. I know I've never preached on this text before. And I'm not even sure if this one comes up like in the prescribed readings for the church, uh, if this is one of those readings or not. But... So let, let's maybe take a stab at what is this What is this whole story about? What does this mean? Well, it's about taxes. Um, it's what, about, what kind of taxes? <laughs> the temple tax. All right. So, And what do we know about the temple taxes? Do you know anything about those? Um, you'd probably know more than I do. 
So I'm gonna, I'm gonna toss it I, back and, to I, you. and I don't know. A t- I don't know a ton about them. I know that um, something that was instituted in the Old Testament that that gets adjusted quite a bit throughout history mm-hmm. at different times, up and down. Uh, sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. And there's there is a bit of de- debate about how much they were being taxed at at the time that this is happening here, mm-hmm. but. For the most part, the taxes were at least intended to support the sacrificial system, mm-hmm. to to buy the animals for the sacrifices and things like that. Um, and that's the kind of I think the tax that they're talking about here, which the the tax collectors come up and and ask. So you know, does Jesus is he paying the taxes? And Peter says, yeah, of course. Um, and then we have this this conversation between them of Jesus and Peter. Which we're not told. Um, clearly, the the tax collectors aren't part of this conversation because um, it happens when they come into the house. But where Jesus says, "So what do you think? From whom do the kings of earth take a toll or a tax?" Or I forget how the version you read it said, uh, "Tariff or tax." I think is how it said, "From their sons or from others." So what's Jesus asking there? Just just from a like practical worldly perspective do you know do the kings tax their their own their own kin or is it of the people that's what jesus is asking are, yeah. you, are you taxing the people or are they taxing their family yeah and peter's obviously going to agree yeah he's taxing the people right and so jesus says so the sons are free and so jesus is starting to to kind of bring about this idea of like us as, as followers of Jesus, baptized children of the Father, we now are sons of the Father. Mm-hmm. We're free. Yeah, um, We're not... There's no need for us to be taxed in this yeah. way. Mm-hmm. Now, part of this also comes just looking at the, the greater um, context of this story. Right before this, Jesus has you know one of his very explicit statements about what's about to happen to him. The Son of Man is about to be delivered over to the hands of men. They'll be killed, and he's going to be raised on the third day, which is the ultimate sacrifice. Mm-hmm. No more sacrifices are going to be needed. Yeah. And so, so Jesus, in a way, is saying... This, this is about to be all over and done with. But I really like what Jesus says here. So, however, we don't want to offend these guys. We don't want to cause them trouble. So, and then, then we get to this, you know, very like miraculous thing of go cast a hook, which trivia note, this is the only instance in the New Testament where a, a fish is caught with a hook and not with a net. Everything else is a net. This, this is a, a, a hook here. Um, and in the fish's mouth will be this coin that's going to cover both of us. Go pay it. But his whole, his whole point is he doesn't want to offend them. Yeah. This is a, this is a system that exists that that God put into place in the old Testament, but it is about to be abolished Mm -hmm. uh, through what Jesus is going to be doing here in just a, a few chapters. Um, but Jesus, so Jesus provides for this and, I looked through a bunch of different commentaries on this and nobody had any great insights on <laughs> the whole, like why this fish comes up with a coin. Some thought, you know, there's a connection between Peter as a fisherman mm-hmm. um, and, and this fish here could be, um, could be let it's another way of, of Jesus showing his just miraculous power over all aspects of creation. Mm-hmm. The big things like the storms and the little things like a fish and a coin. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also never told of this happening. Yeah, we don't see the culmination of right. But I, I think you know, with what we know about Jesus and his power, we can assume that this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And the the tax collectors certainly don't see this happen. They just get paid. They get the, the money that they were supposed to collect there. So, yeah, it's just an interesting little story, a little side note in the, the New Testament here in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, one that we may not have encountered before, but one that just reminds us of all that Jesus is doing and has done for us in his sacrifice as the ultimate sacrifice for us. So, thanks, Aiden. Thanks for listening in today on all these great conversations. We'd love to hear from you as we continue this journey together. If you could rate and review us on whatever platform you're listening to us on, that would help us out and help others find us. And if there's a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. You can email us at media at stmatthewgr.com. Thanks for listening and keep following Jesus together as we become everyday disciples.